G'day, I'm Cam Buchanan from Mount Gambier, Australia, and this is Devotions in the Deep End. Grab a coffee and open your Bible to Matthew chapter 11. We'll get started in just a few moments. Let's read from verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is an additional statement that helps round out the thoughts of the last three episodes. The context through Luke's gospel is the sending and return of the 72, not all that long before Jesus begins to make his way ominously towards Jerusalem. Some of what Jesus said in that instance appears in both accounts, yet both have distinctive parts that don't occur elsewhere. In particular, Matthew draws us to the statements we've just read. And as we continue to study this, we can see that there may be a good reason for Matthew to include it, but Luke not to. Put simply, it's a matter of who their respective audiences are. So let's take some time to see what Matthew's audience is called to consider here. The central idea in these few sentences is that of a yoke. Agriculturally, this on one hand had universal appeal. A yoke was the heavy wooden device that bound oxen together as they pulled a plough in tandem. But to the more Jewish audience of Matthew, a yoke was also a metaphor for the discipline that comes with the journey of following in the footsteps of your rabbi. Put the idea of following and discipline together and you get discipleship. And just as a yoke on oxen had to be tailor-made to suit the size and capacity of the animals that carried it, the yoke of discipleship needed to be a good fit for the learner to be able to flourish in their faith development. Done properly, a disciple would be able to build the required mental and spiritual muscle to carry more. But you always started lightly. Sadly, it appears the Jewish process of discipleship outside of Jesus was forgetting the capacities of the learners who were trying to live it out. Later in Matthew 23 verse 4, Jesus would address their discipleship approach like this. They, that is, the Pharisees and teachers, tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. The religious code of the time, the Pharisaic yoke as it were, consisted of 248 commands and 365 prohibitions. Ironically, this is how the teachers in the first century had distilled the Old Testament law down for the sake of the common man. This was actually their attempt at being gracious. But Jesus considered that to be far too onerous, to the point that the legislators themselves, despite their vocal demands that they all be followed, were not willing or able to carry that yoke themselves. It was beyond the capacity of, well, everyone. In the end, instead of adding greater weight to the yoke, Jesus got those 248 commands down to just two. When quizzed about which commandment was the greatest, Jesus offered this answer in Matthew 22 verses 37 to 40. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Does this mean the other 246 meant nothing now? No, not at all. And we'll get to explore that when we get to season four of this series. Jesus didn't go to the cross because humanity broke the two commandments he deemed most important. He didn't call others to a life where God's consistent plan for mankind was subject to change based on how culture saw things. There are many in the modern church making all sorts of suggestions about how light this list really is, and they permit all sorts of wrongs as a result. Instead, what we have here is known in military circles as commander's intent. Commander's intent is vital to the success of a soldier's mission. It's not enough to just give out orders about getting a task done in and of itself. Otherwise, a soldier might do damage to something that the commander actually wanted to remain intact at the end of the mission. Or worse, he could do harm to people who should never have been in the firing line. Commander's intent is delivered in three ways. The purpose of the operation, the key tasks that need to occur, and the conditions that define the end state. If the entire law of Moses was the commander's orders, Jesus' choice of just two gives us the intent of it all. The purpose of all the law is to love God and love others. The key tasks in the mission are to love God and love others. And the end state is, of course, love for God and love for neighbors. I'm admittedly getting a little off point here, but it all kind of fits together at this time. Love for neighbors will be addressed directly in two episodes' time. But the commander's intent model shows us the key difference between the heavy yoke of the Pharisees and the light yoke of Christ. The teachers of the law gave orders, but offered insufficient insight about why these things mattered because they'd forgotten why themselves. We know they'd forgotten this because Jesus addressed them with Hosea's warning twice, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. They did all the seemingly right things, but it wasn't yielding any of the desired outcomes. Jesus simply knew God's intent, and of course, he knew what discipleship really needed to look like. So in this passage, Jesus reads the room and then offers a very different way going forward. He reads the room by recognizing the people were just so tired. He recognized the people were in constant religious fatigue. They were carrying the weight of an inflated religious system that was onerous even for the instructors. And they were being driven to this because the leaders believed this was the key to gaining God's favor. The why for them was not loving God and loving neighbor. The why was not about obtaining or displaying mercy. It was not even about their mission of being light to the Gentile world. It was about getting a critical mass of ceremonially clean people together so that they might one day be free from just Rome. They'd greatly missed the commander's intent. Jesus has been calling the crowds to count the cost of following him, but he also offers a light burden to those who counted and decided the cost was worth it. The burden of Christ, the weight of discipline that comes with being a disciple of Jesus, looks like this. First, it is gentle. Yes, disciples will face a life that requires a cost be counted. There will be opposition and persecution, and there will be a bit of sweat and tears involved as they play their role in the mission of God in the world. And like a good workout at the gym, there is the good pain of discipline in the way we grow in our faith. But the work of the Spirit all through this journey is a gentle one. In context, the Pharisees had a law that would lead to ongoing condemnation. Paul makes it clear that this is what Jesus sets us free from. Let me show you this in Romans 8 verses 1 to 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Condemnation is the harsh and heavy yoke of the law. But in grace, the gentle work of the Spirit is one of conviction instead. Both of these words, condemnation and conviction, are words which point out sin and shortcomings. But they are experienced in totally different ways. Condemnation pushes you further away from God, highlighting your sin, implying that there is no return from where you've been. The spiritual enemy, Satan, uses this approach against us even now when we sin to try to keep us away from Jesus. But there is something attractional about the conviction of the Spirit. It is a drawing force for us, pointing to the cross, highlighting grace, clearly stating that there is most certainly a way forward from the sin of our lives. The yoke of Jesus, offered to us in grace through the Holy Spirit, is therefore a gentle one. It calls us to come closer to God, with grace doing all that needs to be done for this to be possible. Second, it is humble. Calling yourself a Christian and yet constantly seeking places of position and societal honor is not what Jesus has in mind for you. We will see soon enough that he'll draw us to a ministry much like his own, influential for the kingdom without needing those high places in society to make it happen. In fact, the yoke of that sort of life, as demonstrated by the striving of the Pharisees in the gospel accounts, is by no means easy and light. It's actually quite exhausting. It will burn you out, and any gains you make under a yoke like that will explode in spectacular fashion when you inevitably fall under its weight. And finally, it is restful. The law says you can't keep up the standard. But grace shouts from the rooftops that Jesus can, and you can overcome if you remain in Him. And despite the harshness of life around us at times, there is a mysterious sense of restfulness that comes to believers in amongst all that. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 to 11 says this, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from His. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. This sacred rest is something that we both enter now and anticipate to come. It goes well beyond a weekend practice and instead becomes an integrated part of our whole life. The kingdom is a place of rest. Our yoke of discipleship under Jesus comes with a present restful disposition and a promise of rest in eternity as well. So once you've counted the cost of following Jesus, answer his invitation in this passage. Take his gentle, humble and restful yoke upon your shoulders, trusting that he has made it perfect for your capacity to carry it. And then... With the surrounding passages and last two episodes in mind, get on with living the scent life that he draws us into. Thanks for tuning in. To stay in touch, like our Devotions in the Deep End Facebook page and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, be sure to put up a rating and even a comment if your platform allows for it, as this will help others know what to expect. I look forward to catching up next time.